Kyle and the fam are on vacation, traveling halfway across the nation. So this week and next, we'll rerun old apps. So enjoy this best of presentation. Previously on Letterkenny. Recorded on February 1st, 2021. Hi, this is Al from The Produce Stand. Before we begin tonight's special episode with our guest, Kate Trevor Wilson, I'd like to take a quick moment to thank all our patrons and the members of The Produce Stand Twitter group. Without their support, we wouldn't still be doing this. If you'd like to support the podcast, please rate us and leave us a review on iTunes. It helps new people find the podcast. Another way to support us is to become a patron. Patrons will get early access to select content like this special interview. Finally, anyone with a Twitter account can join our little community at Pod. It's a supportive group of good people who love the show Letter Kenny. If that sounds like you, just send us a DM and we'll add you. Now, on with our interview with Kay Trevor Wilson. You're having Thirsty Thursday with your pals the other day. It is not Thirsty Thursday, it is Monday, and welcome to the Produce Stand, a podcast paying tribute about the great Canadian show, Letter Kenny. Now, I know what you're thinking, there are many other podcasts about Letter Kenny out there, but this one is one too. I'm your, I'm Al, your host, and joining me in the room, as always, is the lovely Tanya, and online we have Squirrely Matt and the very groovy Victor. And of course, the reason we're all here today is we're thrilled to welcome our very special guest. He is an award-winning Canadian stand-up comedian and actor. He's a self-proclaimed man-mountain of comedy. He's appeared on Just Pourrier's uh, multiple times, as well as the Win- Winnipeg Comedy Festival. He's also appeared on shows like What Would Sal Do, Billable Hours, Darcy's Wildlife, and of course, little-known show on Craven Hulu, Hulu called Letterkenny. Uh, his debut album, Sex Cop Fire Penis, reached the top of the iTunes comedy charts and was named best taped live performance at the 2016 Canadian comedy awards. His second release, sorry, a Canadian album was nominated for a Juno in 2018. Some of his other awards include the 2012 Irwin Baker homegrown award, uh, 2014 and 2015 Coca comedian of the year and Canada's best male standup at the 2015 Canadian comedy awards. He's our favorite hick. Make some noise for K. Trevor Wilson. Wondrous. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. How's it going, everyone? Wait, 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 <laughs> that's a lot of sound bites all there you go <laughs> we call that our perfect score sound bite, but we also use it when we have special guests like you uh k trevor wilson before we begin what can we call you k trevor trevor or mr wilson uh, most people call me k trev so that works for me k trev thank you so much thank you for joining us here today uh amazing uh to, to have you on the produce stand podcast uh where are you uh calling uh talking to us from today I'm uh, I'm at my home in Toronto. In Toronto, and uh, is that is that where you grew up? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm actually one of the few guys in Toronto from Toronto. I'm born and raised <laughs> here. I uh, grew up in Etobicoke, which is part of the GTA. Oh yeah, uh, I lived lived on the subway line my whole life, and uh, actually Toronto's the only city I've ever called home. I just uh, I've moved several times, but always within Toronto. Uh, sort of. Uh, if you're doing uh, entertainment in Canada, the the big three are Montreal and Vancouver and Toronto. And uh, I didn't feel like learning French. And uh, <laughs> I, 
I don't like rain, so I stayed put. <laughs> your, yeah. your French is is fl- uh, fluent though. Just your just perriers is, is or do you great. fucking hate Quebec? <laughs> <laughs> uh, actually, beautiful beautiful parts of Quebec. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's funny. Matt and I, I both work uh, in in your neighborhood, uh, and Victor used to work at, at like Bloor and Islington, so uh, we know that area quite well. Yeah. Oh, right on. Yeah, no, I used to work at the Milestones at Queensway in Islington. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have visited that place. Yes, I know the area well. And yeah. I actually live in, I mean, Victor, you're in Toronto, right? I believe. And yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm up in the uh, Egg and Caledonia area. So we are city people as well. Um, and then Al and wifey there stuck way up north. So way we, up we, north. we let them in we're, sometimes. We're the Hicks. Yeah. We're the Hicks. Yeah, exactly. Anything <laughs> north of seven is considered Hicksville, I guess. <laughs> they're, they're the, the Hicks of the podcast. Uh, no produce stand, but yeah, very close. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I mean, let's talk, let's get you to Letter Kenny, but let's start off. Uh, you, you're, I mean, you're, you're known as a stand up comedian and, and a, an actor. Uh, I've heard in your interviews, acting came first. Uh, so, how did you get into acting? I started off as a kid actor. I got into the business. Um, actually, as a friend of mine, uh, Roger Barton, uh, encouraged me to start acting. He was uh, a professional actor who came into my uh, grade school to direct our school play when we were doing Shakespeare. One year we were doing um, Midsummer Night's Dream. And I was uh, in sixth grade. I was the script prompter and male understudy. I was working very closely with Roger. And I guess he saw a knack in, uh, in it uh, for me and suggested to my folks that they uh, get me in acting classes. And I started training at Young People's Theater. And uh, it was actually through those school plays that I met my uh, my agent, Mary Swinton, who still is my Canadian representation to this day. We've been together for, geez, we're looking at uh, just over 15 years. We've been working together and now we're actually getting closer now, actually, now that I think about it. We're up around 25 years together wow. in this business. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I started uh, started out as a kid actor doing uh, Disease of the Week films and Goosebumps and stuff like that. And uh, my, yeah, my first uh, professional gig was a Canadian film company short. And then uh, after that was uh, Goosebumps, Haunted Mass Part 2. That's that's amazing. Classic. Yeah. <laughs> I grew up with that stuff, man. So that's great. I'm going to have to go find that. <laughs> Unfortunately, I the only thing you'll see in me in Haunted Mask Part 2 is my credit at the end. They they cut my scene out of the final airing, but I still get uh, residuals. It is responsible for my occasional 50-cent check uh, <laughs> that I get from uh, when that airs. But I, Goosebumps did bring me back two years later when I was 17 to play another bully on my best friends invisible and you can see uh you can see that in all of its glory wherever goosebumps is at i think it's on netflix probably season three three or four on netflix uh yeah that's a that's a classic i have a wicked wicked bowl cut uh (laughs) that sweet that sweet early 90s uh shaved side long at the top mushroom we all thought was a good look how old were you then that Leo DiCaprio, I was 17, sporting that Leo DiCaprio and growing pains hair. Oh, we'll have to look that one up. <laughs> it, it held true through the times. <laughs> so acting was your first uh, uh, passion. Uh, when did you get into the stand-up comedy? I always uh, loved stand-up, like as a kid, uh, you know, uh, George Carlin and, and Eddie Murphy and uh, Robin Williams were guys that I like just absorbed. I used to, you know put their tapes on in the car and rent their VHSs and watch them all weekend. Uh, but I mean, this 
no really no real way for a kid to be a stand-up comedian you know uh it's not like we're allowed in bars or anything so uh something i didn't really think about until i finished high school and found uh the humber school of comedy uh through humber college and uh they had you know they were just starting up their two-year uh graduate uh program and uh i'd uh, been you know auditioning for all the theater classes in university but comedy was really the thing that i wanted to do so i uh i went out for that and uh got in and uh yeah me and my buddies did our first stand-up set uh, the september of that year hmm. uh drove out to ajax actually the ajax yuck yucks uh because less people are trying to get on the open mic there in right. toronto you could get on maybe once a month yeah. and that's if you got good in good with jack norman who ran the uh the open mic back then but uh ajax you could get up every two weeks uh and there were just less people so a bunch of us comics from the program we'd all call in and uh no matter how many of us got on we'd all caravan out to ajax every every wednesday and uh <laughs> jump up on the open mic and that's how it started can you can you remember your first time on stage doing a stand-up comedy? oh you, you never forget it. No. You never forget it. It was, uh, I had two jokes that worked and one of them was about how bad I was doing. <laughs> uh, well, and okay. then the other joke, the other joke was a joke I wrote driving into the parking lot of the club. Wow. All the stuff I had prepared and rehearsed bombed. Uh, oh my God. Oh. Bombed so freaking bad. What a hard bombed, job. Bombed like a drone strike, but those two laughs we're enough to know that I wanted to do this again and again and again. That must, that must, be, yeah. that must be a lonely I, I, feeling though, when you're on stage and I mean, all you've got is your own stuff to, to fall back on. And if it bombs, uh, I, mean, I, I was cocky cause I'd come from so many years of doing theater. Right. Uh, you know, I had, I'd been at ESA for five years, majoring in drama. I'd already started working professionally as an actor. You know, I, I'd been on stage. I'd done a, like a full, you know, hour monologue recital on my own. So I wasn't nervous about being on stage, but it was the difference of using David Mamet's material and my material. And uh, David Mamet, uh, still probably a far better writer. <laughs> so, so uh, yeah, it was a wake up call. Uh, but again, I, I had those two jokes. So I, something, I knew at least thing was funny. Uh, so moral yeah, of the story. The joke, to, to start a career in comedy, all you need is two good jokes, and then and you're two off. good jokes. <laughs> Actually, Steve, the, the legend of Stephen Wright, the uh, deadpan mm -hmm. comic, is that uh, he wrote his joke, he wrote his set one joke at a time every week in in Boston. He'd get up and he'd have one more joke. So the first time he went up, he had one. Second time he went up, he had two. Wow. And after a year, he had a full act. And uh, and what an <laughs> act! I mean, Stephen Wright's a, is a is a legend for sure. Uh, Tanya and I used to go to the the clubs a lot. I mean, that's one thing. Like Toronto back in the day didn't have the greatest music scene for if you were in a live band like me. But uh, I feel like it had a really strong comedy scene in terms of like places that uh, comedians can go, kind of cut their teeth. Right? You had your yuck yucks, but like Laugh Resort and even kind of smaller places that you can kind of just go and 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 try your your, your craft out. Did 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 you find that? Well, I mean, uh, the, the late '80s and the '90s was the real boom for stand-up, and yeah. by the time I got into it, the business was already in a, a serious decline. Like uh, Yuck Yucks was pretty much the only show in town when wow. I started, 
uh laugh resort uh had uh had closed down i think the other one um above above gabby's uh was was barely staying afloat uh you know there was the yuck yucks in second city and that was uh that was it um and actually like uh, we we through humber we started out uh pretty much ingrained in yuck yucks we actually my first year of college my stand-up class was at the old yuck yucks uh at eglinton and young yeah that's the one we used to go uh, to yeah yeah we'd bus up there every friday morning for stand-up class Mm -hmm. with larry horowitz so it it wasn't until like uh and then there were the open mics there were the standards like spirits which had you know had been the longest running open mic in toronto at that point but uh and there was more stuff starting up. The Humber program really brought a lot of very hungry young comics into Toronto. Mm-hmm. And like the the current um, comedy scene really grew out of that to the point that now we're pre-pandemic in Toronto. There was multiple shows every night. Like right. it went from, you know, you, you were hard pressed to get stage time. You know, maybe two, three nights there were shows and then otherwise we'd just be hanging around yuck yucks looking for scraps to you know three four shows a night every night all around the city and uh it's uh now a scene where it's it's really easy to go out and uh hit the gym and jam out the material if you need to now there's (laughs) lots of opportunity yeah Yeah. that's great our heyday our heyday was when yuck yucks was at young and egg and and we we got to see russell peters down there we got to see even mitch hedberg once which was a thrill for me anyway uh before uh they moved it and but yeah i think uh yeah it's it's amazing to hear that you know that scene kind of dwindled a bit it's it's sad to hear so but that's when you were coming up big dip yeah uh you know when we were coming up there was like me and my cohorts in the early 2000s uh everyone was telling us you know uh don't have high hopes you know Mm -hmm. Uh, I remember like, you know, even the first time I got just for laughs, people were like, this isn't what it used to be. Nobody gets signed out of here. Nobody gets TV deals out of here. Yeah. Uh, you know, just lower your expectations. And that was where we were at for 10 years. No matter what we did, we were told to keep our expectations low because there's nothing. And then, uh, they were wrong. Turns out, yeah. uh, <laughs> they, well, and, and we're, we're glad they were. For it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> and, and on that, on that note, um, like, what would you say? I mean, I know that I know the stand up like role can be quite cutthroat at times and it's tough, and there's a lot of competition like, out there, not in the competition, not the work, but a lot of people trying to do it and trying to make it. What was your big break or what would you have considered your moment where you kind of took it to the next level and, and, and hit those kind of platforms? Um, my, I think my, my big break, uh, was, uh, Winnipeg comedy festival. It was mm-hmm. my first TV uh, really is a stand-up. Um, yeah, it was 2011. So, uh, I was already 11 years into doing stand-up at that point. And I, for the first few years I was doing it, I, I was doing stand-up, but I was also working full-time, going to school, uh, you know, uh, trying to be an actor, trying, and I had a sketch troupe. Uh, for 10 years, smells like the eighties. So I was trying to do everything. <laughs> Uh, as I, I always say I was doing a lot of things. Okay. But nothing really, what really great. Uh, cause my focus was split. I was trying to do too much all at once. And, um, you know, a few years before I got, uh, the Winnipeg fest, I, I made the decision, like, you got to pick one to focus on and sort of 
keep the other ones as hobbies, but focus on the one you can control and then get that to where you want it to be and then work on something else instead of trying to do it all at once. So I picked stand up because it was the one I had the most control over. Yet. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I told my work I'm, I'm switching to day shifts because uh, I, I need my nights free. Call my agent. You know, you can get me auditions on my day off, but I'm making stand up my focus right now because it's the one I, I can He's like, you know, sketch troupe, you need everyone to be as committed as you. You need everyone to want it as bad as you want it. Acting, you never know, you know, who you're going up against, you know, whose uncle, cousin, nephew uh, you're (laughs) you're (laughs) going up in a role for. You know, the the number of times I've been up for a part and they're like, we literally have no idea what we're looking for. Uh, (laughs) You know. Like I got a call and it's like, we decided the character was black. So you were really good. (laughs) You were really good, but we just can't use you. And we've decided to go in this direction with the character. And it was like, yeah, you know, that's, that's really out of my hands. Uh, If the character's black, I'm definitely not the best choice. Um, So many things happen in acting. I remember I got cast once in a movie with Vanessa Redgrave. And that was probably mm-hmm. going to be my big break. I, I was cast as a, a leader of a gang of, of teenage thugs in uh, a movie with Vanessa Redgrave. And I didn't even know I got the part because uh, I found out from the casting director a year later, uh, the whole project got scrapped because the director punched out the producer at a party. <laughs> oh, no. And, uh, <laughs> oh, my gosh. So before they were even able to send us the contract, the money pulled out and the whole project got scrapped i didn't even know i had the role till a year after it had been canceled (laughs) that's that's an agent who's just who's just trying to protect your ego there (laughs) so uh that was that was like so but stand up i could control so Mm -hmm. i I threw myself full into it and uh because i'd been doing it for so long at that point when i decided to make it my focus to a lot of people i seemed brand new because i had just sort of been uh, to some people, I'd just been on the fringe, sort of a hobbyist for a long, long time because I never 100% committed to it. But uh, when 2011 rolled around, I, I impressed uh, Laura Ray at a chance meeting. Uh, Laura Ray was the artistic director for the Winnipeg Comedy Fest, and she happened to see me doing Boyd Banks's show at the Underground Comedy Club. And uh, I talked for 15 minutes on one subject, and that's pretty much the whole uh, format of the Winnipeg Comedy Festival. So Lara went to bat for me and got me my first TV spot. And then that opened the doors. Uh, you know, uh, the following year, I got um, homegrown at uh, Just for Laughs, which is where I won the Irwin Barker Best Newcomer Award, uh, which, you know, it took me 12 years to become the best newcomer in Canadian comedy. Um, the overnight success that took 12 years. So, you know, if, if, if you're five years in and you're like, boy, my career is really slow, it took me 12 years to become a, a newcomer yeah. in the Canadian comedy industry. Uh, but, uh, and then uh, from winning, and I, I won Homegrown, which led to me getting JFL 42, uh, which led to me opening for Louis C.K. and Patton Oswalt. Wow. Nice. Uh, and then sort of after that, uh, for years, I had been you know, just cold calling and emailing clubs across Canada trying to drum up work. And I'd showcased to be on the Yucks roster six times and had been uh, passed over every time. <laughs> but after after Homegrown and Louis and Patton, uh, everyone got back to me. Yeah, they couldn't say no. (laughs) And uh, and I had a career. And um, 
I think it was also around 2012 that uh, my day job uh, at the time I was working at Kelsey's and I started getting busy enough with the stand-up that they stopped putting me on the uh, schedule. <laughs> no one ever fired me and I never quit. I am actually still technically employed by <laughs> Oh, you can go do some shifts every once in a while? <laughs> you got to fall back, uh, eh? <laughs> they've, uh, I, I, I talked to the old kitchen manager a few years ago and he's like, yeah, actually, you are still uh, in our books. Uh, <laughs> it, it's, uh, it's an ongoing joke. Uh, they probably owe me severance pay. <laughs> Maybe um, that's why they won't fire you. <laughs> you you so should just show I, uh, up for a shift one day and just yeah, see what yeah. they say. <laughs> oh, God, you know what? I actually enjoy cooking so much more now that I don't have to do it professionally. Sure. Uh, yeah. <laughs> not, no, you know, uh, I, I just like baking uh, without uh, time constraints and people. What's your favorite? Uh, it's too cold. What's your favorite thing to make? Uh, you know what? I, I mastered my banana bread recipe this uh, nice. pandemic, so I've been I've been enjoying that. Uh, streusel is uh, is everything right now. Uh, <laughs> a good streusel coating. Uh, we're oh, all, all about, about that. It's all about the topping. Yeah, all about that in this house. Uh, <laughs> and, and I make a mean uh, goat cheese stuffed chicken breast, but that's oh, actually that uh, a, that's actually a milestones inspired uh, recipe. That's something. <laughs> I, that's two flavors I learned were delicious together there. <laughs> um yeah that, that was like the 2011 getting winnipeg and then uh just for laughs uh and then it was a just for laughs that i met um mark and pat from uh, the new metric media who uh, uh asked me to put together a show based on my stand-up that they ultimately passed on but uh through that working relationship i got uh, the audition for letter kenny um it was through just for laughs that uh, uh i met uh my u.s agents mm-hmm. uh, my original u.s agents at apa and my current u.s agents at the caa um which led to me getting uh my um led to me meeting uh, Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, actually, I got roast battles through JFL, which led to me meeting Jimmy Kimmel in the bathroom, yeah. which led to me getting uh, invited to do Kimmel. I, th- I probably have the weirdest show about getting asked to do stand up on Kimmel because <laughs> I, I met him uh, literally. It was like after the roast battle shoot where he was the judge. I was coming out of the stall in the bathroom, having just dropped a deuce. And, uh, <laughs> Jimmy, Jimmy and his cousin Sal were heading into the bathroom to use a urinal. Uh, not the same one, each other. Right? Hopefully um, not, no. <laughs> uh, but, but Jimmy started up a conversation with me, and I thought it was just going to be like a quick, hey, hello, how are you? But he kept talking. <laughs> and, and so I'm like washing my hands, standing by the door, like really wanting to get out of there because of what I just did. <laughs> Uh, but Jimmy wanted to chat. So we had a nice long conversation while he was taking a piss. And, uh, and then he flew home that night and told his producers to track me down and that's amazing. spot. That's so cool. (laughs) I actually hold the distinction of being the first comedian, uh, like filmed live, uh, at a, at a regular taping Jimmy Kimmel traditionally before that, they had just block shot all the comedians over like a two day or three day period and then kept the performances in, in the can. And whenever they needed a comedian, they just threw one of the performances on. Really? So I was the first guy who live taped his performance and then got invited to the couch. I was the first stand up 
to get the couch invite from Kimmel because I was the first stand up to huh. perform with the possibility of getting the couch invite. Yeah, well, you don't have to lead uh, with that. You can just say that you got the couch invite because that used to be a big deal on the Carson show, right? If you got invited to the couch, you, you'd made it as a comedian. So that was, uh, yeah, no, that was a huge deal. Yeah. And, uh, you know, Jimmy was great. And his, uh, his warm up comic, Don Barris, is also terrific. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, after the show, Don took me around uh, to some of the clubs and introduced me to some people. And, uh, uh, they're just, they're incredibly generous and nice on that show. I still have the, um, the card with, uh, my name from the, the door to my dressing room. Uh, I have that, I have that framed above my bathroom. Oh, that's um, amazing. Yeah, no, that was, uh, that was a great, uh, taught me a lot actually about, uh, television, you know, hmm. in, in Canada, we don't have the same uh tv opportunities and and when we do get tv our sets get vetted a bit but uh preparing my set for kimmel was the most hands-on i'd ever had uh the producers for show b with a comedy set and it was it was really weird because i'm I'm known for my long-form storytelling i'm known for my long drawn-out bits and they didn't want me to do you know, like one five minute bit, they wanted five minutes of like a, a best of just little joke, joke, jokes. And there was about six producers and they'd all send me their notes after every tape. And like, I, it was about, and it was about four months back and forth. Like I, I got my set approved probably two weeks before I flew out to LA to record it. And, uh, it was what finally did it was I, I literally put like included one note from each producer in set. Like at some point they'd all sort of put their favorite joke into the note. So I just put each of the producers favorite jokes into the set. And, and I, I realized the whole process was just to give the producers the moment to turn and go, I told him to do that. Yeah. That was the whole. That's crazy. I just but, had to but give. To be fair, it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It did. It did. Yeah. It was. A, it was a solid set. It was a good best of. Mm-hmm. But, it was uh, a good it was, set. It was, a, it was that really interesting experience of of navigating the business side of this. Is oh, okay. I've got to. I've got to give each of these people their mm-hmm. their moment in my set and include each of their notes. I can't just go with what i think is best it was it was set by committee on that one wow. and then i mean the, the the flip side is I, when i do just for laughs this year i send them my my set and they go cool yeah. you know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they let it ride eh? yeah. well yeah so uh let's see uh you were your your comedy's rolling around 2014 2015 you win the comedian of the year two two years in a row is that is that right uh, I won the, I've actually, I think I've won the Coca comedian of the year four times oh, wow. in total. Uh, I won it two years in a row and then my buddy Nick won it. And then I won it again and I, I won it again a few years ago. And actually I think my buddy Dom Perret uh, still has the trophy. He picked it up for me because <laughs> I, I, the, the awards have always fallen during a letter Kenny shoot. Uh, so I've, I've never actually been to the Coca awards. Um, I think a couple years I was able to do like a pre-tape message for him. Uh, and then like the last one, I didn't even know I was nominated. I'd only done wow. like two college gigs that year. Uh, so I was really surprised, but yet Dom still has the, the trophy. Um, and I mean, that's fun. That's just uh, Coca is the association, uh, for college entertainers. 
so they do like a big annual event where people come and perform and try to get hired uh, at colleges around and universities around Canada. And um, Tacoke is sort of the, the organization behind that. And uh, uh, yeah, I mean, the, it's a great it's a great showcase if you can get on, and it's mm-hmm. lovely to be, uh, you know, a favorite of campuses uh, across the country. And it, it's always, uh, it's always a fun, uh, a fun prize. I mean, you, you always like, you know, hearing that you won an award. Sure. Oh, sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Absolutely. And it sounds like a fun gig going from college to college and, and doing those uh, those shows. They, so- they they can be a lot of fun. They can be they can be odd. Sometimes, like I got in trouble once for telling a joke about uh, dolphins and how I, I don't trust dolphins because they're known sexual assaulters. <laughs> uh, it's a true fact. That, it is a true fact. Uh, I've heard it. <laughs> uh, more people, you are more likely to be sexually assaulted by a dolphin than eaten by a shark. Wow. And, uh, and so I, 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 I have a whole bit about about this fact and uh and then afterwards the organizers i, I was doing uh, western and the organizers were upset at me for joking about sexual assault and i was like yeah but i was talking about a dolphins dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> and they were like well it's still very inappropriate at a campus to talk to joke about sexual assault it's like, it's oh, like but it's but it's dolphins dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> Like I'm hoping your school full of university students can understand the difference between people and dolphins. And, uh, Both are mammals. Oh man, they, they were they were super duper mad. Mind you, they had just uh, it was Western, and they had just gotten in trouble for sexual assaults on campus. So I think they were extra sensitive <laughs> by people, not dolphins, not dolphins. Oh, uh, dear. All right. I can feel our listeners going, what the hell? I thought this was a letter Kenny podcast. So let's, let's get you to letter Kenny. So, uh, you, you get approached by who, or did was it your agent who got you uh, audience with, uh, Jared and, and Jacob? Uh, you know, yeah. The, the audition came by the old fashioned way. I got, uh, I got an email from my agent saying, uh, there's this new show, uh, Bell's making called letter Kenny, uh, based on this web series. And, and I'd been familiar with uh, the web series. I discovered it through, uh, Funnier Die. I think uh, at some point, Funnier Die was was airing it as as Canadian as fuck. I believe they were calling it. And then, um, uh, so I'd been a fan, and uh, I'd actually talked about the the shorts on on uh, my old podcast, uh, the 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 Cal Cal and Katrav podcast uh, that I used to do with Cal Post. So I, I was a, a fan going into it. I was really excited this was coming to TV and uh, I knew I wanted to be a part of it because uh, I, I thought it was just really fresh and sharp and, and original and, and unapologetically Canadian, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I loved. Um, so I, I, I did my homework on the uh, Letterkenny one. I, I watched uh, the videos that they, that they'd sent, you know, I watched all of the online stuff and uh, I really worked at uh, matching uh, Jared and Nate's pacing from the original shorts uh because i mean you know if you'd seen my stand up again i'm the slowest talker in professional <laughs> speaking um so I, I you know it was a challenge and and uh, i went in there and, and i wanted to give them something a bit different so in my audition uh, i started flirting with uh the s's and the 
cropisms, just the 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 turn of phrase and the broken the broken pronunciation. Um, and uh, it uh, you know it worked out. It was it was an interesting road. Uh, I discovered years later from from Kiso that. Uh, well, I mean, about season two, I'd heard the rumors that Squirrely Dan was originally written for Petronevich to play. Yeah, we're going to um, And, and, and uh, you know, unfortunately, fortunately for me, uh, Dan couldn't uh, couldn't take the role at that time. He had, uh, I know he had a part in Suicide Squad and, and he had a couple other things happening in his personal life that prevented him from committing. So uh, he's, he had network approval, like he was all ready to go, but then he had to step back at the last minute. And, uh, you know, Bell had been pulling for me i know bill lundy uh over at bell uh at the time was a fan of mine and, and the new metric guys uh were, were a fan of mine and and so i was number two so uh they went with me and, and uh i got network approval and all that jazz and uh i came in and, and um it was funny because like the the part from from dan leaving uh before before they met me, but when they hired me, the part had been reduced slightly because uh, they weren't 100% sure. Uh, you know, Jared Jared hadn't worked with me, and he didn't know uh, me and what I could do. Jacob hadn't worked with me, and he didn't know me and what I could do. So they, some of the original scripts had been rewritten. Some of my dance speeches had been given to other cast members. And then uh, I drove up to Sudbury, and uh, we did our first table read. And, uh, and after for the first table read, Jared patted me on the back and went, well, I'm going to go give you back all your speeches. Now. <laughs> I think you're going to work out just fine. That's great. That's amazing. And, uh, and, ju- and, and just to sort of, I mean, for those listening along, if they're not sure, Dan Petronievic plays Murray. And when, when I heard you say, I think it was, I was listening to the Q interview. I think that's where, where you talked about this as well. It blew my mind and trying to revision the entire show mm-hmm. with, and I love, Petronievich and how he does McMurray is one of my favorite characters as well. Oh, but try, but trying awesome. to see him playing Squirrely Dan mm-hmm. was, it, it kind of flipped my whole universe and I'm glad it panned out the way it did. It's mm-hmm. so amazing, but it, it really was um, a bit of a, wow, what it could have been. What yeah. if yeah, moment. For sure. It, it's, I mean, for me, it was one of those happy accidents. And, and I think ultimately the, the character of Squirrely Dan has grown into, you know, <clears throat> such a, a uh, a soft, cuddly guy mm-hmm. uh, that uh, uh, that fans quite enjoy, and and I, you know, Dan is his squirrely Dan would have been great, just different. Yeah, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, but but uh, you know, if you go back and watch season one, especially, you see the uh, how different the writing was for Dan. He was a bit more yeah. mischievous. Yeah, uh, the, there was a lot more celebration of his checkered past, like. <laughs> Um, <laughs> well, it led us to, to, to question because when, when the whole pr- Professor Trisha thing would come up uh, that you were going to women's studies classes, uh, we, 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 we wondered whether they were court ordered because of, <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, your, your, your shady past with the schneef and the. <laughs> it was uh, Professor Trisha is one of those things that literally uh, just a, a name I grabbed out of the ether. Mm-hmm. in a random improv on set because uh, in the script, it just had me storming around pissed off. Mm-hmm. And I, I threw together this like this quick little grumbly uh, Yosemite Sam style rant, <laughs> <laughs> just muttering and cursing to myself. And I thought, 
like wouldn't it just be a scream if Dan was in a woman's studies class <laughs> online? <laughs> and and I threw that out there and you know, is the you know, uh just spitball and you throw it up there and you see what sticks and the guys loved the Professor Trisha gag and it became <laughs> it just became this running thing. I mean, she's almost become uh the Maris yeah. of uh of Letterkenny. Uh you know, there's this figure that we hear about, but we never see. And, uh, Except, and then, you know, even even in Little Kenny, I was going to say the school teacher. Is that is it Trisha. the same person? I believe that's a loving nod. Okay. Uh, you know, whether or not it ends up it ends up being that our, our grade school teacher went on to become a, a <laughs> university level <laughs> women's studies professor remains still to be seen. <laughs> things so, crazier things have happened in Letter Kenny, but, yeah. you know. For those who haven't watched Little it's, Kenny yet, there's a character, Miss Trisha, and she's a, t- a, a teacher for the Hicks in, in, in grade school. And and so, yeah, there's a bit of a coincidence there. So there's there's a bit of, skept, you know, people wondering whether it's the same person. Um, while Wayne's character seems to provide the moral compass for the show, it's usually up to Squirrely Dan to play Jiminy Cricket uh, and, and remind the Hicks of, you know, pro- progressive ideas and and you've mentioned now that, you know, well, we've mentioned that it would have been a very different role had Dan played it and how it's maybe changed because of you being in that role. So, I mean, I guess you've already answered the question that uh, it's 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 evolved. Uh, so do you think uh, it was a lot more to do with how you played it or did, did Jacob and, and uh, Jared just see, oh, this is where we should go with Swirly Dan? I definitely, you know, it, it's been a lot of back and forth. Like, uh, you know, I, I, I played the script, um, you know, to the best of my abilities as I interpreted it. I, you know, they gave me a lot of, uh, a lot of stuff on the page to use. And, um, you know, it, it's such a well-written show, uh, that, uh, but, but at the same time, they've they've always paid attention to how we play the characters and what we bring to the characters. And there's always been an encouraged sort of back and forth. You know, if if I get an idea, uh, you know, Jared's always encouraged us to bring it to him, and he loves uh, collaboration. And and um, you know, a, a couple of the stories from season one that Dan told were actually real life stories that I <laughs> I told Kiso. Uh, off camera that he liked so much. He asked me to, to put them on the show. Like uh, um, Jive and Pete, that character grew out of, I'd tell Jared a story from my real life. He'd ask me if we could put it in the show and we'd, uh, we'd just call whoever Jive and Pete is actually a, a real life friend of producer Mark Montefiore. And he asked <laughs> me to call the character Jive and Pete for whenever I tell the story of my idiot buddy and this dumb thing that he's done. He was like, would you mind doing Jive and Pete? That's a friend of mine. And I think he'd get a real kick out of it. So that was the producer, myself and Jared all came together uh, to accidentally create this Jive and Pete character that eventually became the leader of the D-Gens from up country. <laughs> That's amazing. You know? And it was like my, my, that came from my real life buddy, Tommy O'Donnell, uh, got hit in the nuts with a hockey puck and he has one giant ball now. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, yeah, actually, um, uh, Tommy came on, uh, 
a Sirius XM interview with me once and showed his giant ball. Oh, my oh my God. <laughs> and, uh, and Mark forward. And I'll never forget the look of legitimate concern on Andy Kindler's face <laughs> and, and in his distinct Andy Kindler voice going, but for real, are you all right? And, <laughs> That's great. Uh, my, my my real life buddy Sullivan got really drunk and pissed down his own stairs uh, and then totally woke up the next day yeah. and then stage dived down the stairs and then woke up the next day and cleaned his whole house and uh, <laughs> I told these stories to Jared and he was like I, I like him you want to put him in the show and then Mark asked us to call the character Jive and Pete and, and out, of, uh, out of that collaboration grew that character but uh, uh, getting back to the original point, uh, yeah, I think I think me playing a softer Dan led helped lead to uh, sort of the more progressive, positive, you know, ally Dan, um, and also it 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 worked well with we kind of needed that voice in the show anyways, mm-hmm. and you know because uh, that is where the world is going, and it it's fun to play. Uh, a progressive uh, farmer, you know, to go against the stereotype that so often happens with that character. With so many of the characters on Letterkenny, it'd be really easy to just do uh, the the same old pigeonholed caricature of small town life uh, character. And, and instead, you know, they've, you know, Jared and Jacob and all the writers and all the performers have created these unique uh completely over the top and yet somehow believable uh people with with differences and uh, and challenges and interests and likes all unique to each other and that all cohabitate in a, almost a judgment-free uh, zone yeah almost I, I, chirp I, a lot sure i think i think they're believable because they're they're people that we want to believe exist <laughs> uh, you know, I think they're grounded some in reality and in the stereotypes, but also like we want to make sure sh- we want to believe that in rural Canada or U.S. that 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 it's possible to have you know uh, forward thinking, progressive, quote unquote, Hicks, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's really what was drawing so many people to this show. I mean, you guys are nine seasons in now. I, and actually a lot of our listeners are in the U S we have listeners as far as Australia overseas. Um, and of course you're in Canada, but like the, the progressive nature of the show and, and no topic is really off, mm-hmm. uh, off grounds in this place, but you be, they're always tackled in such mature yet fun. Uh, I ways. wouldn't say mature. No, maybe, maybe not mature, <laughs> but they're in such fun, smart yeah. ways to draw attention to the subject. Um, and yeah, and it's, it's, it's brilliant. And it's such, like, I can't imagine what it's like just to be a part of something like you're nine seasons in now. Um, did you ever expect this to become what it is now? I mean, we always knew we were making something good, you know, uh, a first season, I, I would often say to the gang, either this show's brilliant or we're all stupid. Uh, <laughs> Cause we just, we were laughing so much making it and, and, got so much enjoyment out of doing the show. And it was like, you know, there was this real buzz in the air. Like, I think, I think we're making something special here. Hmm. Um, But you know, there's no way to predict it, especially uh, in Canada um, where we are notoriously defeatist against our own products. Like Canada (laughs) has really low self-esteem in their own projects. Uh, 
Uh, it's something we don't give ourselves a fair shake sometimes. You know, mm-hmm. we've all we've all been like, oh, Canada and change the channel on our own stuff. We've yeah. all been guilty of doing that. And we weren't on a channel. We were the very first 100 percent streaming Canadian show uh, and the flagship show for a brand new streaming service. So it was everything about the waters was untested and and everything in the history books told us this probably wasn't going to be a hit. And, um, you know, the one thing we had going for us is that we were already a successful Internet property. You know, they they'd uh, you know, hit the million views on almost all of their videos before we, we even turned on the, the camera for the first time. So we had that going for us, but it was, you know, a lot of shows that had been big on the internet and tried to translate to TV, you know, uh, didn't last either. So there was, there was no guarantee. And then it, uh, I mean, it took off like gangbusters, even as far as just a Canadian show goes like, uh, you know, um, and bell through their support behind us in a way that, you know, very few Canadian productions get support. I mean, buying us ad time during the Super Bowl. That's amazing. Uh, yeah. To announce our first season like that, that showed a commitment to us too. And, and a lot of credit's got to go to Bell for actually, you know, getting off their wallets and and uh, putting some real support behind the show. But, you know, the the fan reaction was was great in Canada. And then it became this, this underground hit, this... Um, you know, I, uh, uh, I, I, I attribute the military actually a lot to helping get the word around about Letterkenny. Uh, I found out a few years ago when Nate and I were, were doing a show for about 5,000 allied troops that Letterkenny had been included in the homesickness packages sent, uh, wow. to soldiers serving overseas. Wow. They would get USBs with like Canadian TV shows on it that they could watch so that, uh, you know, uh, feel like they were a little bit closer to home. And uh, what ends up happening, you know, troops are stationed with troops from other countries. And once they watch all the videos on their ta- on their stick, they start trading USBs with uh, other countries. So how a lot of Canadian soldiers discover Australian and, and, and British and the shows and, and vice versa. So the Americans, the Aussies, the Kiwis and the Brits all discovered um letter kenny through the 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 troops and then went, went back home and, and started trying to find it uh snowbirds heading down to florida mm-hmm. we're spreading our word i i met a guy in minnesota a couple of years before uh we hit hulu and uh he told me he would get episodes of letter kenny mailed to him on cd-rom <laughs> from his buddy in florida who would get them from a snowbird whose son would burn uh, episodes on to, uh, onto disc for him so he could give them to his buddies in Florida. Uh, we became big in Ireland because we accidentally took over the Letter Kenny Ireland uh, uh, hashtag. <laughs> we were hashtagging everything Letter Kenny. Yeah. So in Letter Kenny Ireland, they all started getting these updates from behind the scenes <laughs> on our TV show on the feeds. And they're like, what is this? And a couple months after our show debuted, there was a whole article about us in the Dairy Daily News in Dairy Ireland. Ireland. The headline was, we found another letter, Kenny, and it's full of Canadians. And- <laughs> That's great. Okay, Trevor, uh, I want to be uh, you know respectful of your time. Uh, can we get another five minutes with you? Just have a few. like Sure. Speak? All right. Uh, just a couple of uh, listener questions. Uh, uh, let's see. Uh, our buddy, Stephen Walker, uh, he really wants to know what your favorite uh, episode would, was. 
man, we've done uh, we've done so many good episodes. Um, I mean, personal favorites for me, uh, the uh, the cookout episode was a great one because mm-hmm. of the giant the giant brawl, like the the so giant we, massive fight scenes, the yeah. battle of the bastards. Coincidentally, <laughs> we just reviewed and recapped that episode uh, this past so week. Good. It's a great episode. We love it. And yeah, the, my 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 like watching that scene, I'm like, wow, that's a really like you've guys a lot of fight scenes, but that one there seemed very epic like almost like braveheart level where you guys are charging at each other in slow motion and it was a that, that was exactly what kiso was going for yeah. uh that he wanted that braveheart level <laughs> level fight i, I always love that because Radass and i had worked out this whole big fight thing and then when we came up with the bottle shot over the shoulder it was like well that that just sort of defeats the purpose <laughs> of all the other stuff we yeah. choreographed <laughs> And so we'd, we, we choreographed this whole thing and then it just, and then we came, then this one spot was just, well, that's better than everything else we came up with. And uh, we just went with that. And yeah, that was here. We got a budget for, for breakaway glass. So that was a really fun year. Uh, <laughs> oh, so that explains that was, the Canada goose episode. You guys spent your budget on that. The, that was Battle of the Bastards and, wow. uh, and Canada Goose. Yeah, oh, I mean, we had so many breakaway bottles that year that they were just like, "Yeah, you can break another bottle. Go right ahead." So we were just oh, we were just relishing it. That's awesome. Uh, and, actually, and actually, you know what? Um, the the Canada Goose episode was a ton of fun. Uh, if anything, just to zip around uh, a closed golf golf course in the golf carts all day. Um, at the McMurray's almost flipped theirs. They were having a bit too much. Fun. I have no <laughs> doubt about that. <laughs> but, uh, Seeing their scene of <laughs> oh, that's man, great. Yeah, no, it, it's and uh, I mean, there are just some scenes like sushi's and sashimi's. Oh I'll man, never oh. I'll never forget how hard Kiso was laughing filming that scene. Like he was just he, he, he shakes <laughs> and he gets this grin. <laughs> and and afterwards he's like, did we get it? And Jacob's like, no, that was the why. I, <laughs> he ruined corpse it. that whole take. <laughs> uh, that's one of the most common um, uh, comments, you know, with any of our, our listeners is that how many takes did it take to get that scene? It must have been forever. I mean, have you ever had like any scenes that were like in jeopardy of you're not getting them because you, you can't get through them? No, I mean, we've never really... <laughs> I don't think there's any scene that we've almost lost due to, due, due, I mean, we're pretty efficient and yeah. we're, we're good at turning around. I mean, there have been times where we've gotten to the, okay, like seriously get your shit together right. and get this scene done. Like uh, I, I remember one scene when the, the hockey boys were uh, doing their, their uh, poo puns with hockey player names. Yeah. And uh, Hersey did about 15 takes where he said Seku Koipu instead of Saku Koipu. And and like every and every take would would God and Jacob would lean out. It's Saku. It's Saku, not Seku. And Hersey's like, right, right. Yeah. Saku, Saku, Saku. Action. Seku. Shit. <laughs> and eventually, eventually uh, the Jacob came out of the garage, the video village was set up, and he was like, for the thousandth time, it's Saku, Saku Koivu. He's a goddamn personal hero of mine. Just say Saku Koivu. That's great. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just uh, some more uh, listener comments. Crystal, she had asked about how you, uh, how you came about 
with Squirrely Dan's unique way of speaking, which you've already answered. But uh, thank you, Crystal. And also our buddy Redbeard from out east. Uh, he just wanted you to know how incredible this show is and, and how it's helped him. And he assumes many others get through all the whole pandemic. And I mean, it's true for, for us. Even I, my first time watching it was back in May uh, because of the pandemic. So uh, it's this has definitely helped us get through some tough times. Yeah, I agree. Like this, this show really became real during the pandemic. I know Al, I, I let Al onto the show. He fell in love with it and he reached out and said, Hey, you want to do a podcast? Mm-hmm. And now we're into season four and we're just loving every minute. Um, and, and I mean, we're so thankful you're here. And I don't know if you knew this, we actually had, um, uh, plywood on the show uh, no, last I know, season. I know that uh, yeah. plywood was the one who suggested I do this. Uh, <laughs> oh, that yeah, was Pat, well, Pat, Pat's a great guy. Yeah. And, uh, not many people know this, uh, uh, but I mean, well, I guess your listeners do. I mean, Plywood, who is not only one of our skids, but he's been he's been on our crew mm-hmm. uh, yes. for the past several years as well, uh, working with our grip team. And uh, um, yeah, Pat's a, Pat's a great guy. He's definitely definitely walks to the beat of his own drum. He's a, <laughs> a, a, he's a unique pet, and uh, but uh, I appreciate that about him. He's a, he's a good guy, sweet kid. You know, yeah. uh, I, I love him to death, and I'm glad that. Uh, uh, the, our backup skids are getting, uh, are getting more play and, yeah. uh, uh, getting more, more to do on camera, but they've been, they've been a terrific addition. He was my buddy's favorite character after the first season. <laughs> Tim, my, my buddy, Tim Wilson was like, my favorite guy is the skid in the gas mask. Doesn't say anything. Doesn't do anything. That's Just my smokes. favorite guy. Yeah. 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 Well, it, it, it's good to hear the love's gone both ways. Cause he actually, I went when he found out that you were coming on and you agreed to, he sent me a quick note. He said, just tell him I send my love and support and that I have had an honor and privilege to work with and get to know the guy. It is a dream come true. Oh, and still sur- and still surreal to this day. So that's uh, he's, a, he's a great guy. He's a great guy. I love Pat. Okay, let's. Uh, uh, it's, I mean, Letterkenny's like a family. There, we all yeah. love each other. Yeah, it sounds like it. So we've got some speed questions to really get to know you. Uh, the, the The purpose sure. of these is just to answer off the top of your head. Don't think about it, and let's see how you do. You ready? Okay, here we go. Coffee or tea? Uh, coffee. Tim's or Starbucks? Tim's. Cats or dogs? Uh, you know what? I, I gotta say cats. I've just, my mom was allergic to dogs, so I never had any. Oh no. <laughs> Does Jared know this? <laughs> yeah. Jared knows this. Uh, he, he, he wants me to buy my fiance a dog. Oh. It's, uh, Jared, uh, whenever my, my fiance is like, does Jared like me? He's like, he tells me to marry you and buy you a dog every day. So yes, he likes you. <laughs> nice. If your life was made into a movie, who would play you or who would you like to play you? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, probably Jack Black. Oh, Whoa, yeah. well, I like that. Yeah. Or or Seth Rogen. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that'd be great too. Uh, dinner with anyone, dead or alive? Um, the cast of Monty Python. Monty Python, wow. nice, nice. Your best ba- vacation? Uh, Maurice and I took an amazing trip to Jamaica a mm. few years ago. That was really. Uh, really wonderful. I yeah. almost passed out from exhaustion at Bob Marley's house. It was oh, a yeah. great time. Uh, Jamaica's beautiful. <laughs> Window or aisle seat? Uh, aisle. Aisle. Beer, wine, or liquor? Uh, beer. Very good. Uh, early bird or night owl? Night owl. And if you could be somebody for a day, who would it be? <sighs> hmm. Nature Boy, Ric Flair. <laughs> so I wanted to ask you about that because the, the, the Venn diagram 
for Letterkenny fans and wrestling fans is almost like a perfect circle. Almost. Uh, why? Why do you think? What What is it about Letterkenny that wrestling fans are so fond of? Uh, well, we have a lot of fights in our show, too. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, good rapid fire chirping. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and, uh, 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 you know, a, a strong rural backbone, just like wrestling. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know. We're just, we're, we're wacky and, uh, we're weird mm-hmm. and, uh, it just, it fits in, uh, fits in with the group. I'm, I'm actually really, uh, always pleasantly surprised to find out how many, uh, professional wrestlers or fans of the show. It's yeah. uh, led to some great opportunities. I get the weirdest messages, uh, <laughs> like, you know, like, a, a couple of uh, Christmases, I got a message from Baron Corbin inviting me to come by uh, a, a house show in Toronto. I happened to be out of town. Uh, wow. yeah, uh, back in the, the winter, I got a message from Xavier Woods hmm. letting me know he was coming to see the letter Kenny live in Atlanta. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Alexa bliss, uh, invited me to go see SummerSlam. Uh, unfortunately, uh, we were filming, but, uh, wow. met, met a lot of, uh, got to talk to a lot of, uh, really cool wrestlers because of the show. <laughs> There's amazing. so many other things we'd love to ask you about, but I, again, we want to respect your time. Uh, like Thanks let, so much guys. letter Kenny. Uh, thank you so much for, for, for joining us tonight. Uh, so what, what, is there anything you want to shed light on any projects coming up for you? Uh, where can people find you online? I'm the only K Trevor Wilson on the internet. So it's uh, an easy find uh, at K Trevor Wilson on Instagram and Twitter. Uh, K Trevor Wilson.com. Uh, I don't have any shows uh, really coming up because of the pandemic, but yeah. I'm hoping to get back to work on some projects soon. Uh, I'd love to talk about them, but I can't. We're back to work on Letter Kenny in May. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can buy T-shirts from my T-shirt shop at belowthecollar.com. And uh, you can buy my records at comedyrecords.com or ktrevorwilson.com. Uh, yeah. Yeah, vinyl. I mean, I wanted to ask you about vinyl comedy records. Like, they're making a comeback, too. And it seems like you're spearheading that. Or, or am I just not, uh, you know... Uh, we're all about uh, doing the collectible uh, limited edition vinyls over yeah. comedy records. Uh, we found a, a good vinyl producer and it's just, uh, you know, I, I made the decision on my first record not to do CDs just because I didn't want to carry them around everywhere mm-hmm. I went. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the download cards were easier, but there's something, there's something beautiful about uh, vinyl. Like even if you don't have a record player, it's just, uh, you know, you can frame the, yeah, the they're beautiful. Just, it, yeah. Vinyl just feels like a, a bit of artwork, uh, almost. And, uh, it's, it's of, of the tactile physical, uh, ways to listen to something. It is by far the prettiest. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you again, Kay Trevor for joining us today. And we're going to play us off here. That's a pleasure, sir. That's all we have for this episode. Later this week, we'll have our regular Thirsty Thursday episode where we'll recap and review episode four of season four Letter Kenny Talent Show. Please rate us on iTunes. If you like the show, if you'd like to support us, become a patron. Here's There's a link on our Patreon website, our Twitter profile, at ProtestantPod. We also invite you to visit our website, theprotestantpod.com, for episode recaps and lists of our favorite episodes. Thank you for joining us. Now we're going to hoover some schneef with our new friend, Trevor. No, we're not. We're not going to do that at all. 